Welcome to Commercial Real Estate Investing from A to Z, the ultimate guide for real estate investors. I'm your host, Steph Boldrini. We cover everything you need to know from finding and analyzing properties to financing and managing your investments. Tune in every week for experts' insights and tips so you can make your commercial real estate dreams come true. I am sorry I have been MIA. I have been working on the summit for <laughs> several hours. It's crazy how a one-day event is so time-consuming. And we will be coming back on track with our weekly shows on a regular schedule. And in today's episode, we are covering how to stay out of jail as a syndicator, operator, raising funds for your deals. We are chatting with Mauricio Rold. He is the founder of Premier Law Group. His firm is just fantastic. We have used them before. We are splitting this episode into two parts because there's a lot of very good information here that you should be aware in order to keep yourself out of jail. Here we go. Mauricio, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. I know you have a crazy busy schedule and I thought it would be a great idea to have you on the podcast because you're coming to the conference. And also we have used your services before and your team is simply fantastic. They caught things that nobody caught before other indicator attorneys. It was a true bliss to work with your team. So I uh, would love to start by asking uh, to please tell us a little bit about you. You all, thanks so much for, for A, for having me and B, for for really um, those kind words. I mean, that really makes me proud of the team because that's something that we obviously uh, try and instill in our entire team, not only to obviously do a great job and attention to detail, but just making sure that the customer experience is, is top notch. So I appreciate that and I will pass that along. So thank you. Um, I am a securities attorney. Uh, I'm an attorney, so don't hold that against me, but uh, I'm not your normal, usual attorney. I, I tend to, people tend to, to say that I'm one of the few attorneys or few lawyers that actually speaks English. Uh, so um, I, I have this knack of taking these kind of complex esoteric terms and making them somewhat easy to understand. So hopefully we can do that today. But uh, yeah, I've been doing this for, as you can tell from my gray hair, for, for quite a long time now. Um, I started practicing back in, um, uh, what was it now, 24 years ago, back in 1999. And uh, started my law firm, a job as a law, with a law firm, one of the top great law firms here in Southern California. And pretty quickly, and I was doing a lot of securities work back then, but I was doing a lot of litigation. So I represented sort of the, the brokerage houses, the JP Morgans, the Merrill Lynch's, American Expresses of the world uh, when they got sued. So I was a defense attorney. I would do all the fun stuff and depositions and motions and trials and arbitrations and appellate work and all that fun stuff. Um, but I quickly realized that was not what I wanted to do. And luckily I came across the little purple book, which I know you have read, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners have come across the rich dad, poor dad book, long, 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 long story short, that led me to, uh, to, 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 to get introduced to the real estate guys because they, they were affiliated with the rich dad and they were, he was actually promoting them for something. And luckily for me, I got introduced to the guys that allowed me to leave my firm and become sort of general counsel for, for Robert and Russ over there, which was amazing. And that's really where I cut my teeth on the syndication process itself. They were doing a ton of syndications, raising a lot of capital. Uh, and so that's really where I cut my teeth. And then, you know, in 2007, I believe it was six or seven, I forget exactly. Uh, I started my own firm, Premier Law Group, and um, just started helping mostly real estate syndicators. So what, what we do now is we help real estate syndicators 
make sure that they are in full compliance with federal and state securities laws when they're out there raising money. I kind of semi-joke that, you know, my job is to make sure my real estate clients, uh, real estate syndicators stay out of jail. Uh, and uh, to the point where I actually ended up writing a book called The Five Things Every Syndicator Must Know to Stay Out of Jail, uh, which is kind of a fun topic. Uh, and and I picked it on purpose because I feel like so many people are out there raising money and doing it completely let's say non-compliantly for lack of a better word, but they just, they, they have the attitude of like, oh, everybody's doing it. Like who cares? What's the big deal? And it is a big deal. And you may not end up going, most likely you're not going to end up going to jail unless you're doing something fraudulent or something crazy, a Ponzi scheme. I mean, just ask Bernie Madoff. He's, he's well, no longer in jail. I guess he passed away, but, um, but it's serious, has some serious consequences. So I wanted to emphasize that because there's way too many people, as you know, Stephanie, we've had these conversations ourselves offline that there's just so many people who are raising money i'm going to say completely and blatantly ignoring securities laws that they know is non-compliant because it's not just me all of my colleagues are out there pounding the the table about things they shouldn't be doing uh and to be honest with you, we have even our own clients who kind of i want to say behind our back but we tell them not to do something and then we find out later that they've been doing it anyway because they just want to go raise the capital so that's why I wrote that book, and that's why I'm excited to talk about uh, some of the ways, uh, some of the things you should be concerned about if you're raising capital. Make sure you don't end up in a in a yellow jumpsuit or orange jumpsuit like Bernie Madoff did. Yep, and let me tell you guys, you do not want to go to jail. Trust me. I think it's easy for people to do these things when they're out in the world walking freely. <laughs> and if you have not been to jail, you should maybe experience it. Go volunteer it. See what <laughs> what their life is like. And um, I can tell you it's a nightmare. So let's emphasize that. So let's go over some of the biggest items that syndicators need to keep in mind that are easily forgotten. Yeah, I think the number one, I always start with this one, is, is just understanding that you are actually in the business of selling securities. Because a lot of times, especially new 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 syndicators new real estate syndicators they don't quite understand that hey i'm just buying real estate like why do i have to worry about the securities and exchange commission or the sec like well, what is this securities nonsense i'm just i'm just getting a couple of my friends and we're going to go buy a single family home or we're going to go buy this building like why why do i have to worry about all this stuff and what people need to understand is that the definition of a security is extremely broad the sec I mean, you think of a security as, you know, the stock market, you know, stocks and bonds and mutual funds and all that stuff. But the SEC thinks about it much broadly. So, you know, tenants and commons agreement, no, TIC agreements are potentially uh, securities, joint ventures are potentially securities, profit sharing agreements. You know, I always joke high fives and handshakes are securities like the structure itself doesn't matter. Promissory notes are securities. And so people try and get all creative and they're like, well, I'm going to structure it this way. I'm going to get it structured that way. Or, hey, it's just a loan or, hey, it's just my dad. And the reality is the SEC doesn't care about any of that stuff. Like all they care about is whether you are out there raising money where the returns are generated by your efforts. If you're out there raising money and you're doing all the work or you and your co-sponsors are doing all the work and you have just passive investors who are just writing you a check, I don't care how you structure it and how creative you get structuring it, it's going to be a security. Um, and that's something that newbies kind of forget. And I think some of the more established ones try and get creative with things and they, uh, they they try and say, well, I'm going to structure it this way or structure it that way. It's a promissory note or it's a tick agreement or it's a joint venture. And they, the SEC just does not care how you structure it. Probably the most common mistake there is the joint venture, right? A lot of people are doing structures out there as a joint venture when really they're just 
securities offerings that you're just calling a joint venture. And so when it comes to joint ventures, I like to say this, whether it's a joint venture or it's a security, you don't get to make that decision. It is what it is. You know, you, people call me a lot and say, Mauricio, you know, this is a small deal or it's just my friends and family or, you know, I, I think I'm going to do this one as a joint venture instead of a, a, a syndication. And like I said, you don't get to make that choice. You're going to, we're going to look at the facts of how you structure this deal. And it is, it's one or the other, right? Uh, my good friend, Tom Wheelwright, who's a tax uh, CPA, who uh, is a rich dad advisor, likes to say, if you want to change your tax, you have to change your facts, right? That's, he's really well known for that. And I've kind of, you know, he's a good friend of mine. So I borrowed it from him. It's like, if, if you want to change it from being a, a securities offering to a joint venture, then you got to change your facts, right? You can't have a situation where you're doing all the work and your joint venture partners are just giving you a check and, 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 and getting all the returns. In order for it to be a joint venture, a true joint venture, everybody in that partnership has to be actively involved and doing something so that the returns aren't generated by one or two people, but they're generated by everyone. Right. And so typically you don't want to have too many people because if you have eight, nine, 10, 15 people in a joint venture, there's no way everyone there is actively participating and helping to generate the returns. So generally you're trying to, you know, limit that to maybe four or five partners. And again, I would call them partners, not investors, maybe step one. Uh, so they're your partners and there's four or five of you. And then everybody has proportionate, you know, voting rights, depending on how much money they brought in. And everybody has to be, has some level of expertise. And, you know, maybe you're doing the day-to-day -day management. I'm doing the due diligence. You're doing this. You're working with the lender. Like everybody has to be rolling up their sleeves because if you even have one passive investor, it's going to cross a line and become, um, become a securities offering, whether you like it or not. And so I know that a ton of people were doing that. Uh, we all know. <laughs> and... <laughs> What would it um would a way to go around that to raise a fund yourself under your company name and then investing in that deal if you don't want to participate fully in the operation side and other things? Yeah, that, I think that comes up that come that issue comes up in another big way that people are are sort of violating securities laws, which is probably after that, the one we just talked about is probably the, the second most common, especially today. I mean, probably five, 10 years ago, this wasn't big of a deal. But what's going on now, Stephanie, what you just mentioned is that people are really coming into syndications. Now, let's let's we're doing a syndication. People are raising money. A, 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 a group of sponsors are legitimately doing a syndication. They're raising money. They're going to go buy a piece of property. Great. They're all complying with securities laws. But then you have one of the partners that comes in specifically to raise money for the, the deal. It's it's very common these days, especially because it's getting harder and harder to raise money that, you know, if you need to go raise two or $3 million and you're out there raising and you're just, you're going to come up short, you're going to be short half a million, you're going to be short a million. It's very tempting to bring somebody on to your team just to bring in that last 500,000 or last million dollars. Right. And that's one of the biggest issues we're seeing right now in the securities industry. I mean, just as prevalent as the joint ventures, I would say is there's all of these syndicators that are the group of syndicators that at least have one, if not multiple people on their team, that basically their sole role here is to raise capital. And just like you can't practice medicine without a medical license, just like you can't do I, what I do being a lawyer without a law degree, you cannot go raise money for other people without a broker dealer license. Like you have, that's a licensed and regulated activity. And of course, none of those general partners that come into a syndication, they're not licensed brokers. They're literally coming in and acting as what we call unregistered brokers or unlicensed brokers because they're bringing in capital in exchange for 
compensation, right? It's usually in the form of shares in the GP, right? Or, or, or membership units in that, in that company. Um, it's not usually cash. It's not, I don't see too many people coming in and just getting a flat commission where, you know, they'll raise a million dollars and get, you know, an, an 8% commission, but they will come in and raise a million dollars. And in exchange for that, get 10% of the GP or 20% of the GP. And what's worse is that they will even, they'll even, uh, you know, make a contingent. Like if I bring in 500,000, then I'll give you 5%. If I bring in a million, I'll give you 10%. All those kind of transaction-based compensations, which are just blatant violations of broker-dealer rules. Um, and so the the challenge there, what pe- I think what people forget is that all of those emails and negotiations that are going back and forth, which are all going to be in emails or on spreadsheets, right? Where it's like, hey, Stephanie, I, I got a bunch of investors over here. I can bring them into your deal. You just make sure you pay me five, just give me 5% or 10% of the GP. And then you're responding and you're trying to go, well, I'll give you 8%. I'll give you that. No, 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 I want this and I can bring this. And you know, and all those emails are not privileged whatsoever. So if anything were to happen, if there was a an audit done on your syndication or what most likely is going to happen is, is your, your deal goes south and investors start to lose money. And so they start calling regulators and then they open audits. They're going to see all those emails. They're going to request all those documents. They're going to see that these were negotiated purely for raising capital and they're going to... Uh, nail for la- lack of a word, they're going to nail the syndication team and the syndicator for using an unlicensed broker. But in order for somebody to come into the group, the syndication group, as a legitimate co-sponsor and bringing in some capital, there's really three things they need to fit into because there's an exemption. Like you, you, the general rule is you need a broker deal license, but we can we can exempt that. We can find an exemption to registration. So the exemption would be what we call the issuer exemption, but that requires three things, which is most. Most of these deals don't follow, but number one is no transaction-based compensation. So, so no, hey, I bring in this this many investors, you give me a cut of the deal. Literally, and this happens, as you know, Stephanie, this happens a, a lot too. Like you literally have to be willing to say, okay, well, I'm going to give you 10% of the GP, even if you don't bring a single dime. Let's see, I know you promised that you were, you thought you were going to bring in, be able to bring in a half a million dollars from your investors, and it turns out you aren't able to bring any. You still have to get that five percent or ten percent because you're giving that person that percentage not for raising money but for other things they should be doing so even if they said they were going to bring in they thought they could bring in 500 and they brought in only 100 or they didn't bring any you're you, sh- you still should be giving those otherwise it's transaction based compensation uh you also have to be doing what we call substantial duties real work like any other syndicator you know due diligence uh underwriting asset management you know all these little you know obviously as you know as a syndicator you do a ton of things now, granted, that's a little bit of a nebulous term, like what exactly does substantial duties mean? It's it's not really well defined. So that's an issue that we have in our industry. But clearly, you have to be doing something else other than raising money once the deal closes. Once the deal closes, what are you doing? And so you've got to be doing substantial duties. And then the majority of your work, your primary role needs to be those substantial duties. It can't be primarily raising capital. So that's I think that's just a timing thing. Like, Do you spend more time raising the capital or do you spend more time doing these substantial duties in the in the syndication? And you just have to show that you're doing more than that. So if you can fit into those three, then then you're good. And so again, if you're a real syndicator and you have two or three partners and you're all part of the team and you're all working hard to make this deal work, then you're going to fit into that into that exemption. But what's happening now, which is really driving me crazy, to be honest with you, is you're just seeing seven, 10, 15, 18 co-sponsors on a particular deal. And you just know forget about one or two, probably the vast majority of those people have literally been brought in to raise the capital and they're doing very little work or or, or really not doing any work once the deal closes. 
And if they are, they're just really trying to fit that square thing in the round peg or whatever that thing's called, where they're supposedly showing up to meetings, but they really aren't really materially participating in the deal. Makes a lot of sense. Um, and, and so what you, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. And so what you were mentioning, so that was kind of, <laughs> I know that was a lot. So that was kind of like the preamble. So what you were referencing earlier was what about creating your own fund and then investing in somebody else? So that's one way or another way to kind of avoid that issue. Meaning if you're really good at raising capital, and I just literally did a video on this and uh, a blog called the six, six ways to legally raise money. I forget exactly how I talked it, but if you are really great at raising money, you just have a great audience, you add value to them, and, and it's relatively easy for you to go raise 500 or a million or 2 million or 5 million, then one option is obviously go get the register, the reg register part. You could just do this as a living, get, a, get the appropriate license and go be able to do it legally. Or you could set up your own syndication, right? Your own fund, raise money into your fund, fully comply with all the rules and set up your PPM and talk to the security attorney, but raise all the money into your own fund that you manage and then go out and allocate a piece of that fund into different deals that you like. And so you're not really at that point a co-sponsor or co-GP. You're literally a fund manager and you're saying, hey, Stephanie over here has got a great deal and she's raising a couple million dollars and I really like that deal. Let me put 500K into her deal and my fund will be an LP in her deal. And then I go over here and say, oh, Bronson's got another great uh, investment over here. I'm going to put in a million dollars over there. And so you start kind of allocating capital of the money that you've been you've raised and that's what you're really getting compensated now for you've compensated to raise the capital and now you're 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 going into each of these deals and 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 evaluating them and, and making decisions because passive investors are busy they don't have time to go meet with all they don't have time to go fly down and meet with you stephanie and they don't have time to go underwrite they don't have time to go look at your operations and so that's the value that you bring as a fund manager of putting your own syndication together that's wonderful i have not done a fund yet and I know that some funds pay an interest until they allocate all of the all of the funds. Uh, is that optional? Do you let them know upfront we're going to pay interest it, until we allocate or not? Yeah, I mean that's the beauty of syndications in general, and certainly with funds, you, you could be as creative as you want to be. Like I'm not here to tell you you how to structure your fund and how to do it. I mean, I can, we've done so many of these. We give examples of stuff, but and I would usually recommend not not making it super complicated because then you start losing investors. But honestly, you can structure your fund however you want. Uh, some people decide to just re give a flat fee, almost like a, a coupon rate. So it's like, hey, you give me a hundred grand, I'm just going to give you an eight percent or a ten percent return, you know, every year, and I'm going to pay you monthly, and just I'm going to go do what I'm going to do with the money, and then I'm just going to pay you almost like a promissory note. Uh, although they are technically equity owners, so they do get some depreciation benefits. Other people just do straight splits. It's like, hey, look, I'm putting this fund together and whatever I invest in, we're going to split the profits 80-20. Like I'll take 20% for running the fund and we'll give the, the remaining 80% to investors. Um, and and is there everything in between. Some some people do different classes where like, well, if you're this type of class, you're just going to get a flat fee and I'm just going to pay you 8%. You're going to be, again, almost like a loan. So you're ahead of everybody else, but you're only going to be capped at 8 or 10% or 12 And then everybody else is going to be a 70 30 or 80 20 or whatever the splits are so there are some nuances in funds that don't show up in a regular syndication that people should be aware of for example and maybe this is where you were going with your question too is you know if i go raise 10 million dollars do i collect all 10 million dollars now because what if it just ends up sitting in my bank account for the next six months and i'm not deploying it how am i generating a return you've given me your money and it's sitting in my bank now granted <laughs> the bank accounts these days are paying five percent so it's not you know i can put it in a money market account so it's not the end of the world yep. but back a couple of years ago when your interest rate was half a percent, 
that was an issue. So that's something you got to work with. Like, do you want to take all the all the money up front? Do you want to just take soft commitments, which you probably don't because then people change their mind. Most of our clients will elect to take a deposit. So that gives them, you know, kind of hooks them a little bit. And so let's say they invest a hundred thousand, maybe instead of wiring you a hundred, they wire you 10% or 10,000. And then you can cash call the rest when you need it. That way, I, I you know, I'm not, I'm not have all my money sitting in your bank account. Uh, and then withdrawal provisions too. That's another thing that usually doesn't show up on a on a project specific deal. Project specific deals are just whatever the length of the deal is, which is usually five to seven years. But in a fund, I mean, is it go on forever? Is it a you know when? How do I get in and out? Like that's a question you have to ask answer for the investors. Is this might be a fund that just is going to last ten even at ten years? Some investors are like I don't want to have my money tied up for ten years. Like how do I get out of it if I want to get out of it in year five or four or seven? Like there has to be some provisions in the in the fund documents that allows the investor to be able to give you notice and say, Hey, I want to get out at this point. And then you got to figure out what's the, you know, what's the price that you're going to get out at. So all those little things, little nuances, you've got to work through in a fund that usually isn't an issue in syndication, which is one of the reasons funds tend to be a little bit more complicated and a little bit more expensive. And honestly, I don't usually recommend funds for first time syndicators or newer syndicators because it's much, much harder. And a lot of our clients are realizing this a lot harder to raise money for a fund than it is to raise money for a product specific. From the sponsor standpoint, it's great. Hey, I get all the money in the fund. I get to decide what to invest in. I may even have economies of scale because I can go buy something for cash. I don't have to, when I'm competing with other people, I can close faster because the money's sitting in my account. But on the flip side, it's tougher for the investors because they don't see anything. They don't know what you're investing in. They don't have the pretty pictures or the, uh, you know, here's the specific business plan or here's the look at pictures of the property or what market, you know, exactly where it is in, in, in the state. Um, and they're really just, as we like to say, we're betting on the jockey and, and not the horse. And so I'm like, I'm or the other way around, I'm betting on the horse, not the jockey. So I'm really trusting you. I'm basically just saying, I'm going to give you a hundred thousand dollars. I trust you to go do whatever you're going to do with it. And so that that's harder. And, and if you don't have a track record and you haven't done this for a while, you don't have a, a really solid base of investors that is going to be harder for you to do. And so if you're a first time syndicator, I would argue that it's almost, I would say impossible, but unless you have a huge following and we we have, we represent a lot of syndicators who have a huge following and and they can start off a fund from day one because they make a post and you know 500,000 people see it or they do a video and they've got you know a million followers so those folks can probably get away with a fund from day one for all the rest of us mere mortals we're probably starting with a with a with a project specific deal for the first couple 3 4 5 and at some point you get that traction and you've got, you know, 50 investors that are super happy with you. And they're like, dude, I'm just going to give you money and just go do run with it. Yeah, you definitely need a track record before raising a fund. So we will continue this interview next week. Mauricio's firm's information is under show notes. And if you haven't already, please make sure to write us a review on the podcast app. This is very helpful for us. We put a ton of work into these episodes. We get people reaching out to us every single day wanting to be on this podcast. And we never say yes to these people. We only invite people that we know or we were introduced by somebody else or someone else recommended it really takes a lot of effort to find fantastic guests and we would really appreciate a review and I will see you next time.